This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to Coronacast, a daily, sometimes, podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I've forgotten who I am. I think I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 27th of September 2021. How did you get on without us? Well, I don't know about our audience, Norman, but I'm definitely feeling a lot more refreshed than I was a week ago and I'm delighted to be back here in this podcast feed. Yeah, me too. Well, let's get straight into it. And one of the questions that we've had a lot over the last last few months, especially was as people are being told to get vaccinated and we keep hearing mixed messages sometimes about what vaccine effectiveness actually means in terms of preventing infection, preventing disease, preventing hospitalisation. And there's some new research that's come out that talks about that first one, infection, the virus even taking hold in your body, even if you don't have any symptoms, which is sort of one of the biggest question marks that we've had throughout the pandemic. Norman, what have these researchers found? Well, this is a huge study. Uh, It's not been peer-reviewed yet. It's a preprint. And as we always say, we we always take care over preprints. But it's a very reliable group of researchers from Oxford University and elsewhere. It's the UK COVID infection survey team as part of this group. And Exactly as you say. This is not about hospital admissions or severe disease. That's assumed to be pretty good. It's about whether or not the vaccines prevent infection and to what extent in the world of Delta. Now, previous research in this area has been a bit fraught. So you've got some data from Israel, which we've talked about. You've got some data from the UK, which really looked back rather than looked forward. This is a really good survey where I think it's about 220,000 households who volunteer for this study. They, um, they're followed through. Most have been vaccinated, but some not. Some have had infection in the past, some not. And they follow them through and they do regular PCR tests on them. Regardless of whether they've got symptoms or not, they go in on a regular basis and do PCR tests. And so it's a pretty good study. And importantly for Australia, the vaccines that they were looking at were Pfizer, AstraZeneca and Moderna. Yeah, so we, we can put Moderna to one side, really. They didn't really have enough of the Moderna. It was a younger group of people, as indeed was Pfizer, largely under 40s, and AZ was largely over 40s, but there was some crossover there. So really good news. Two doses of either vaccine were as good as natural infection. So natural infection is pretty good. Natural infection gives you a protection of roughly about 70% reduction in risk of another infection. So that's really good. Pfizer does a bit better than natural infection. We'll come back to that in a a minute. The interval between doses, all the questions that people have been asking, the dosage interval did did not seem to make a difference, which is, uh, but they really looked at a cutoff of nine weeks. Under nine weeks or over nine weeks as as a gap between the immunizations. If you'd had COVID-19 in the past, not so much of an issue for Australians because we haven't had as much COVID-19, there was greater protection. So if you had Pfizer or AZ after a previous infection, you actually got even more protection. And I'll come back to those numbers in a moment. Part of the study was when when Alpha dominated and part of the study was when Delta dominated. If you got infected with Delta, the viral burden was as high as if you were unvaccinated. And that's the number of viral particles in your body. So the idea that you could potentially pass it on to someone else, even if you didn't have severe disease. Yes, but they make the commentary here that 
First of all, they're not measuring the virus directly. They're measuring it through what's called the CT value, the cycle threshold. The lower it is, the higher the viral burden. So that's how they were measuring it, but it wasn't a, a direct measure of it at all. That's something we've heard the chief health officers talk about in many a press conference before. That's right. So they did not study hospitalisation here, but there's been a Scottish study which shows that there's pretty good effectiveness for hospital admission and no diminution for Delta compared to Alpha for hospital admission from the vaccines. So what's the, what are the numbers here? So with the Delta, AstraZeneca is 67% effective 14 days after the second dose. So that's pretty good. And it's more than we've been quoting on CoronaCast. We've been seeing around about 50%. This is against any infection, not just against symptoms, which is what we've talked about before. This is any infection. So this is a positive PCR test. And the range was between 62 and 71%. So it could be as high as 70%. Pfizer effectiveness was higher at 80% effectiveness 14 days after the second dose. Interestingly, AstraZeneca, after you'd had an infection, jumped to nearly 90% effective. And as I said before, if you had an infection in the past and no vaccination, you actually had a 70% effectiveness. So it was right about the same as having the Astra. But here's the kicker. The vaccine effectiveness for Pfizer declined by 22% per month. That's a lot. Is that a lot? Yes, and it's so it's roughly similar to the Israelis, although the Israelis were measuring it mostly by antibodies. Now, AZ, as we've applied before on CoronaCast, did not decline. In fact, it did not decline in a statistically significant way. So after just about four and a half months, they crossed over. So Astra became as effective as Pfizer four months after the second dose of both. Does Pfizer stabilise at some point? Does it sort of have a high starting point and then it comes down and then it sort of stabilises around the same uh, stage as Astra or does it just keep declining from there? Nobody's absolutely sure about this, but it, it, it doesn't seem to decline very much over the first five or six months. So they, they, they thought maybe 7% per month, but it wasn't statistically significant. So it may not have declined at all, but there was certainly a crossover point of four and a half months. And age mattered to the effectiveness as well. So if you were 18 to 34 and you got Pfizer, it was 90% effective against infection, but that dropped over the age of 35 to 77%. Astra was over 70% effective, 18 to 34s, and it dropped to 54% in the 35 to 64. So age does make a difference. But overall, it's really good news. Can we recap then? We were talking before about whether or not you can transmit the virus if you've been vaccinated, if you've got, depending on your viral burden. So remember what I said is that they're not measuring viral burden directly. They're measuring it by the CT value. And the PCR test doesn't test for active virus. It's just an assumption that it's active virus. So what's still not known is whether this high viral burden is with to be blunt, a knackered virus. In other words, because you've got antibodies on board, is the virus hobbled? And even though you seem to have a lot of virus in your body, it's actually not very transmissible. Is there a way to test for that? Um, well, there will be epidemiologically in contact tracing and spread in households and so on, and that, that data will emerge. But at the moment, it's still not clear whether the transmissibility is as high, although the viral burden seems to be as high. Okay. So, I mean, on balance, this sounds like really great news, Norman, that people are less likely to catch the virus at all than, well, certainly um, less likely than we've reported on this podcast before. And then you're saying that there's theoretically perhaps a, a chance that even if you do have the virus on board, that it isn't able to infect. But of course, the big 
uh, metric that we've been told to look at at the moment is hospitalizations. This is talking about any infection at all. What What's the added benefit of, um, of just reducing the ability to transmit the virus? Well, the benefit here is the daily numbers we're seeing in Australia. And we'll come back to that later in the week. So the benefit here is that if you're managing to get 70 or 80% effectiveness of reducing infection, that's 70 or 80% fewer people who are able to catch the virus when it's circulating. So that, that reduces the burden of the virus in the general community enormously. And that helps to bend the curves down, particularly in New South Wales and Victoria. So the power of these vaccines to bend the curve could be much stronger than we previously thought. And that's going to benefit the unvaccinated kids, because there'll be less virus circulating, than others. So we could we could see a lower impact of opening up than we, than, we, than we projected. And we're going to come back to opening up during the week as well. That is definitely something I'd, be, I'd love to be wrong on, that, uh, that opening up could be less risky than we thought before. And of course, the outbreaks in Australia have, have not gone away in the past fortnight. What, what direction are the curves seeming to trend in at the moment, Norman? Well, it's different from New South Wales and Victoria, and we're going to deal with that uh, tomorrow and the day after. We're also going to deal this week with opening up and a direct implication of what we've just been talking about, vaccines or boosters. So we're talking about those three topics in the days to come, but uh, the, you know, the curve is bending in New South Wales. It's still going up in Victoria, but we'll talk about the implications and the reasons for that in the next two or three Coronacasts. And the other things that we can talk about in the next two or three Coronacasts are answering your questions. If you have them, go to abc.net.au slash Coronacast and ask them there. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>